So, no sermon? <laughs> no. Awesome to see you all as, as it all gets, you know, winding down here. Whew, let's take a deep breath. We got a serious sermon going on today. They're always serious, unlike me. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> brothers and sisters know that this is the second to last week of our time in Esther. Woo! And wow, that guy. Jeez. Uh, well, I've just derailed. It's like that train in India. I just derailed. Ah, oh, right? Yeah, see, I brought up the truth. Now maybe that's going to be my segue into what that whole second point's all about. No. All right. I'm going to try this again. This is our second to last week in Esther. We've been doing this because of the basis of faith. We started off this year. Remember, we had a little questionnaire of what we'd rather hear, faith or love, and the resounding answer was all about faith, and it's been that way, and we continue in that way despite, you know, the other, you know, turns and twists that we take, and so here we are in this, and this is the, being the second to last one, hoping to show you all the building blocks of faith. Faith is not something that you do on your own. You're not the little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not you. You can try that. It's not going to work. Faith is a gift, and it's a gift from God. No one is born knowing God. So God must intervene and interact. And that's exactly what he does and continues to do. And much like what Kim just said, part of the glory of this entire book is that it's not like God, every other verse, or Jesus, because, again, it's Old Testament, so the Son of God, the promised Messiah, isn't going to be revealed quite yet. But we know that God's still there. We know that he's still working. And it's very much like today. I mean, unless you guys have God in a pillar of fire and smoke like I do in the back of my house, uh, like Exodus, I don't know if anybody caught that reference, but either way, he's... He's here, but it's not a tangible expression. And so it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we find our salvation and God's intervention in our lives. So that's his providence. All right, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you certainly for all the blessings in our lives, especially those that we fail to see. And Lord Jesus, certainly, may you reveal to us in our own individual lives just some of the workings of what you're doing. I realize that certainly there is much more going on all around us, especially in regards to spiritual worker that we have no idea about. But we praise you and thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be a people for your own possession and that you will be our God and we will be your people. And so continue to shape us and mold us into your son's likeness and certainly encourage us and edify us by the truth of your word and by the blessing of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're doing and continue to do. And we will rejoice and praise your name until, well, forever, but until we're actually with you in heaven. And so thank you again. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Esther chapter 9, Chris told me it's 457, 457 in the Bibles in front of you. So, now, in the 12th month, 
which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus and to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parshandatha and Dalphan and Aspatha and Poratha and Adalia and Eridatha and Parmashta and Arisai and Aridai and Valzatha, the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. It's been a very challenging sermon series. I kind of wish there were more God mentions in this, just so I can be like, oh, there it talks about salvation. Oh, there it talks about uh, propitiation. There's redemption. There's regeneration. There's this, there's that. But now we're stuck here. 
which isn't stuff here by any stretch of the imagination. But my great hope, like I said, is to see God's continued work throughout this. This has been a book that there is not really a mention of God. If you're looking for morality, this is probably not the book for morality either. But we're not all about morality. We know that there's a problem in this world. We know that there's a problem within us as human beings. That problem is called sin. Very simply, it's missing the mark. It's failing to glorify God and it's glorifying of self. It's not just a tangible expression where you do something. It's even in your thoughts. It's in your mind. It's in your heart. As Jesus said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And so what comes out of your mouth stems ultimately from your heart, as it's said and as it's written. This has been 10 years in the making to get to this point. 10 years. 10 years from Mordecai being a guy on the street and Esther just being an orphan to now coming to be queen and all the amazing events that happened that both that led both of them to where they're at now. And so I think that has a lot to do with what I'm hoping lands as the first point for all of you, seeing God at work in our lives and in the world. Ten years ago, I remember thinking, because I had just recently been saved, and I'm not sure where you were ten years ago, but ten years ago I was living in DeKalb, I was just recently saved, came to know the Lord Jesus, got kind of a chip on my shoulder, thought I was going to be the greatest salesman on the planet, if you will, because now I've got God on my back, right? So if God's with me, like, who can stand against me? But God taught me a very valuable lesson those 10 years ago as he was directing my life and my path to lead to where I am today, which I can promise you and guarantee you up until maybe five years ago, I would have laughed at you if you told me I would be here. I went, please. And many times I told God he was the wrong guy. But he continued to change the directions of my path very similarly, like I'm confident he's changed the directions of your path, or I can just very simply stand on how confident I am that he changed Esther and Mordecai's path in all of this, as well as his people's path. And so as that amazing sales rep, I lost $5,000 deals by $50. I lost $50,000 deals by less than $500. I lost $100,000 deals that we had already won and were poised to win through the state because they got canceled. I think God had an alternative plan. And ultimately what he showed me in that, especially as I look back to see, is that me selling things is a means to an end, but not the ultimate means and not the ultimate calling that God had wanted on my life. And so I was working with my neighbor, we amicably parted both ways, and then things got even weirder. People that I barely talked to, kind of talked to, not really talked to, I had given a conversion testimony at church, I shared this on social media, 
some people saw it and they're like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? I laughed at him. I said, no, <laughs> I certainly haven't thought about doing this. I don't know God. I didn't grow up in the church. 35 years I lived in darkness before he called me to his marvelous light through a series of events and circumstances, or maybe we want to call them coincidences, which I don't believe in, that continued to show me that God is at work. And it ended up after I don't know how many different events, how many different things were going on, and it ended up in a medical miracle with my half-brother. He had leukemia. He was at his wit's end. He was looking for a blood transfusion, one that would be a match for him. And so he reached out to me. I've got this amazing God chip on my shoulder. I'm going to use him and manipulate him for my gain and my needs as a new believer. But that wasn't the case again. And I had to be put in my place. I had to learn my lesson, much like maybe Mordecai and Esther in this. But my lesson, ultimately, was that God's sovereign. And in that medical miracle, I thought I was going to be the one in 16 chance that was going to save my half-brother. But I wasn't the one in 16 chance. But something much more miraculous happened, something that was not on the table at all, was that the leukemia went into remission. It quite literally disappeared. Right. And so, looking back at that, I could probably spend the next hour, two hours, five hours, ten hours, week, month, year, telling you all kinds of amazing stories of God's providence in my life, his calling, his working, but see it from the simplicity of Esther and know that it exists in your life as well. Where were you 10 years ago? How have things changed in your life? How have they grown and gotten better in Christ? Or if you haven't been in Christ, how might they be slowly dying? How might your hopes and dreams be falling away and your anger and your frustration be continuing to grow? Because that's what you have to look forward to ultimately in this. We have a lot of hopes. We have a lot of dreams wrapped up in this world, but our hopes and our dreams in this world can so quickly be dashed. And I do hope that you can see God work in your lives. Talking about 10 years. 10 years in this story, but the reverse occurred. And how many times has that reverse occurred? Do you know that the only reason that I can actually live here in Genoa is because God set in motion years before it actually happened an error in my mortgage that gave me, and I'm not speaking prosperity in the slightest, that ended up making the mortgage company pay $80,000 on my loan in order for me to sell my house and be able to move to Genoa because God wanted me to move here. Do you know that the house that I live in, I would have never bought if I saw it first. But because I had seen all kinds of other houses and foreclosures and everything else, and in that tune of that moment, and once I hit that backyard and saw the big 
God display of nature and glory that I knew that was the place, despite it having holes in the walls and holes in the windows and shag carpeting from 1969 and a whole slew of other issues. You would never guess that now. Jesus is making all things new. And that home was one of them. It was the house built for ministry. And I told you how I even got out of my other house because we bought high in 2008. And then when we're trying to sell in 2018, there's a problem. But praise be to God that there was that crazy error. And the, the loan officer was like, you're kidding me. The lady who came to sign the paperwork is like, I've seen this once in my 20 years. So a very rare occasion and a rare occurrence had happened. And they continue to happen. And I would love to hear your stories. I'm talking about myself, and despite human beings being all about themselves, I really don't enjoy talking too much about myself. I enjoy talking about my Lord, and I enjoy talking about what he has done and is continuing to do in my life. And so, from this very first point in those four verses, that's the complete antithesis of where we started from. Very much so. Haman was in power, you know. Mordecai was nothing. Esther was really nothing. Then Vashti decided to just be disobedient one day. Who knows why? Doesn't know why. But God has worked through those sinful encounters to bring, again, glory and salvation for his people. And God can work through your sin just the same as he did between all the characters of this story. And he continues to do that. And I could probably tell you about my sin and how God certainly, uh, I mean, even the fact of being in this building, he used my anger and frustration to lead me. <laughs> because other things weren't working out. I hadn't visited here because, well, I don't speak Spanish. So why would I come to a Spanish-speaking church to see their service or anything like that? But lo and behold, it was one of the most amazing and beautiful stories and testaments. And there's even more that I can tell you of oddities and craziness that when I met Miguel's brother and we were talking kind of about how maybe we could share this building, the exact time that I was born into the faith is the time that Miguel's brother had a dream that a gringo was going to be preaching at their church. And I went, whoa. That's all I can do is go, whoa. Right or wrong, indifferent, indifferent, God, not God, man, we're here. And all I can do is praise the Lord in this instance and with all of us. I mean, my goodness, we started with so little nothing. The people that we did start with, most of them aren't here anymore. They've moved on different places. They came for the wrong reasons, ultimately. And so, but God continued to remain faithful. God said, no, you're meant to be here. Despite me acting like Moses, telling him he's got the wrong guy, God's like, no, I'm pretty sure I got the right guy. I think I know what I'm doing. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> And I continued to doubt. That's my nature as a sinner, to continue to doubt my Lord. But by his grace, by seeing him at work in my life, by seeing him at work in others' lives, 
by seeing him at work in the world and by acknowledging his truth as I continue to grow in the word, that, yeah, my faith continued to grow. It was a gift of God. And those doubts that I speak of, while, yes, certainly my inherent nature does still stand, boy, the maturity in Christ that has come over the years. And I'm not even going to bring up the trauma that we had to go through and the ridiculousness of 2021 in my life and how just, ugh, it is. But that's the nature of sin and the tragedy that it does in this world, how it affects every one of us. And so, moving on to that second point, we've got 10 years that pass, speaking to matters of life and death and righteousness and wickedness. You've got 75,000 people in Persia that just died and 800 people in Susa that died. Do you know why all those people just died? Mordecai didn't bow. And then Haman, being the self-righteous guy he is, didn't appreciate Mordecai not bowing. And now you've got 76,000, roughly, people that are dead because of two jerks and their disagreement. Sin's a problem, and it affects all of us. I don't glorify it by any stretch of the imagination, but you need to be aware of it and not take it lightly. A lot of places take it lightly. We all want to sing Kumbaya together. We all want everything to be peachy keen, but it's not. And it never will be because we live in a sinful world where death and destruction are prevalent on a daily basis. You see it all the time. I kind of regret bringing up that India thing and the train and being derailed. That was a horrible tragedy. 300 people died in a train wreck, two trains that wrecked. Like, man, and I don't know how many more were injured and hurt. I wonder what caused that. I wonder what ultimately, like, did the conductor look away for half a second? Did someone come up and talk to them? Like, again, what, what happened? But now tragedy has happened from a brief little glimpse. And so, I don't know if we realize this or not, and I'm hoping that this certainly lands and, and makes a point here too, but this is what we speak of on a daily basis and all the time, life and death, but more so in the confines of what is righteous and what is wicked. For we're always on one side or the other. We unfortunately try to justify our actions and declare our own actions righteous, despite knowing that our actions aren't righteous. But praise be to God that we are justified by Jesus's works. So we're declared righteous by his doing, not by my own doing. Because as I've proven throughout this story in Book of Esther, even God's working and saving these people, they certainly didn't honor and glorify God. They certainly didn't uh, worship him. They certainly didn't praise him and appreciate him. But again, that's the nature of our Lord in comparison to the reality of who we are as human beings. He's holy and we're not. 
He's set apart from the rest of the world. He is the definition of righteousness. And we're simply not. We want to be. We understand it within each of us. We have a pretty good idea of what's right and what's wrong. It's part of being created in the image of God, that you have that package built in you, that you know what's good and what's bad. You question it. You think. You make decisions. But you make decisions based on righteousness or wickedness. Every single one of your decisions. And I've tried to, to look at this because I want to poke holes in it myself, but I, I struggle to poke holes in it. And I thought about it for a very long time. And I'm like, you know what? Everything is. Even when I'm out, let's say just something simple like I'm going to the grocery store, I make decisions on food items. And I still make those silly decisions based on righteousness or wickedness. What is healthy? What is unhealthy? I'm a diabetic. I'm not supposed to have sugar. Guess what I love? Every day. Every day I'm making those decisions. And you know what it ultimately leads to? Leads to a life and a death decision. But it's based on righteousness and wickedness. And so whose righteousness am I standing on? Am I standing on my own that I'm justifying myself for? Or ultimately, or am I standing on God's? I hope I'm standing on God's rather than my own, but that takes time, and it has taken time. And it's been 11 years now that I've been in the faith, and it's been a wild 11 years, to put it nicely. Ups and downs and all arounds, many twists and turns, but... Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put me to shame because of God's great love that has been poured into my life and continues to be poured into my life until that day that I'm actually with him. And so we speak on these matters of life and death. And again, I, I love the word of God, and I want to encourage you to continue, certainly, in spiritual disciplines, if you will, to continue to read it because the realities of life found in Scripture are the realities of life. You've got a ridiculous episode here with a war and a genocide and everything else. I would like to be like, oh, well, this is weird. This never happens in society and this never happens in culture, but it does. And probably most notably World War II and the Holocaust still happens. People don't learn. History repeats itself, but people don't learn. It might be a little different. Nuances, just the same as the Bible, the culture certainly of 2,000 years ago in Persia is very different than where we're at right now in Genoa, Illinois. But human nature is still the same. We're still doing all these ridiculous things. We're still hating people. We still get annoyed when other people don't give us the respect that's due. Here we are, right or wrong, and it continues to go on. And so I admire the honesty of Scripture. I admire the sincerity of Scripture and God's Word in seeing it for what it really is. And again, this conflict started because Mordecai didn't bow. And then Haman's so full of himself that he's like, why didn't you bow? And then once he found out that he was a Jew, he's like, well, this one Jew didn't bow to me. Let's just kill them all. Man, when is that ever going to end? 
Come thou long expected Jesus. This is when it ends, when Jesus comes back. Remember in redemptive history, this problem of sin that we talk about, and again, God fights for Israel in the beginning. Exodus, you see that. God works with Abraham, descendants as numerous as stars. They go off into slavery into Egypt for 400 years, and then shows up to Moses in a burning bush, and he's like, yep, it's time. Moses is like, ah, I don't know. But as that story continues to go on, you see that redemption, and you see God fighting for Israel. Oh, and then Israel just wanted to be like everybody else. God saved them as a people for his own possession, but they just wanted to be like every other nation that's out there. So what happens? Well, God fights against Israel because of sin. And unfortunately, that sin dwells within each of us. If we're obstinate to the Lord, there's certainly going to be a type of hostility. But we can't lose our salvation for those that are in Christ. Not to mention, odds are you're not going to be obstinate and, and go and do all kinds of terrible things in light of God. But God, at that same time that he was fighting against Israel, he gave hope for future reconciliation. This was all throughout the prophets. The prophets always did three things, okay? Same three things in all the prophets. The words are different, same message. Repent, turn, come back to me. Second, coming judgment, if you don't return and come back to me, which they did not return and come back to him because as human beings, God's holiness is very hard to keep up with. You want to try to keep up with the 613 laws in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel specifically? I wish you well. Some people genuinely have tried to do this today and then make a mockery of the Bible and make a mockery of God, and they're going to get their just desserts for making a mockery of these things. But the third thing that it always spoke of was that future reconciliation. So turn, coming judgment, future hope and glory in the Messiah. And then we have the Messiah coming, Jesus. Jesus is that promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the revealed Son of God in the New Testament, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. To defeat sin is actually more so what the issue is. Because we're talking about holy war in this whole section. And it's justified at this time. What we have going on, even the Crusades weren't justified because Jesus had already come. They're not taking a battle against sin. They're not being used as agents of change in God's purpose and his glory as Israel. Jesus came and defeated sin. There is no other agent of change that God is going to use. So when you see in the world right now that there are a lot of people that want to, that, that carry the Christian logo, if you will, and want to start fights, why? I don't get it. I don't know why they are. Oh, they want this to change. Well, good news. Jesus defeated sin. Maybe you should just be talking about Jesus rather than talking about XYZ and all the other issues that you want to have a morality problem with. And that's fine. I totally understand the morality problem. We all have triggers. We all have switches. But don't lose the sight 
that hate doesn't change anybody. <coughs> Does fear change people? Sometimes. We see it in this. I do think it's okay to have a so-so fear of God because, well, he's God and you're not. He can do anything and you can't. He's the controller of life and death and you are powerless. There are lots of reasons, theologically and sensibly, logically, why it's okay to fear God. But remember that his perfect love, which is the res restoration of a relationship, casts out that fear. God held out the olive branch first. And if God didn't hold out that olive branch first, yeah, you should theoretically fear. But not just in redemptive history, I do need to say that in the second point, that this is how it was ordained. And especially in the taking of the sons, especially in the taking of the family, but the not taking of the plunder. One of the beauties of this book is if you know a lot of the other scriptures, there are similarities in this. And we've talked about that. And so if you remember from, I think it was probably the second or the third week, we talked about Haman. He was an Agagite and the son of Hamadatha. So being an Ag Agagite is very similar to being an Amalekite. And if you know what the Amalekites were like, they harassed God's people, right? It's tough to say. They harassed God's people from the beginning of Exodus and continuing through much of the story. And Haman is believed, uh, genea, genealogy, you know what I mean, genealogy, he is believed to be an Amalekite or a descendant of them as an Agagite, the, the refurbished name for it. Now, why am I saying all this? It's very important because this holy war, there's a lot in here, right? And there's a lot of, well, I'm not really comfortable with that. But in holy wars, as they were, and especially knowing that Israel's on the defensive from the offensive, it has always been that way. Aside from when, in the time of Joshua, they took over Jericho. And they went around the city seven times. And God said at that point in time, it's not because of your righteousness that I'm doing this. Not because of your righteousness at all, Israel. It's because of their wickedness and the promises I made for their fathers that he took over those cities. You're not going to see a holy war anymore. You're not going to see God fighting these types of wars anymore because Jesus was the final divine warrior that defeated sin. Now God used his people Israel throughout all of history as agents of change. Think about King David. Think about King Saul. And in fact, in, in 1 Samuel, the reason why Saul lost his kingship is because he didn't do what the Lord said. The Lord said, destroy it all. Leave no trace Actually, 1 Samuel 15. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, 
but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. It was normal in those holy wars to extinct that type of evil against God's people. Remember, he's got a covenant. And the reason why we continue to bring all this up is because God's going to keep that covenant regardless of who gets in the way. And so Haman got in the way. If Haman didn't get so full of himself in this, Haman might still be alive, might be around, right? But that's not how the story goes. And that's not how his life went. He's a sinner. His sin got the better of him. He used that sin to oppress other people, to hate, to murder. Even though he's like, I'm not going to touch him, in his head, he was all over him with murder. And it's the same. Even though you don't physically do it, you've still thought it. You're condemned. You're a sinner. Congratulations. Your reward is death. The wages of sin are death, as it's ex explained in, in Romans. And so, in this, and you see this, and the holy war, this is all, again, life and death, just hanging on a balance. When someone in your life gets sick, when cancer strikes, when weird illnesses happen, did you have any control over those? Or did they just happen? They just happen. That's the problem. Death lives in this world. Everything is centered around life and death. So remember the good news of the gospel in this, that there is newness of life. Because much like last week with the irrevocable decree of death, that exists for everybody. Like death is expected. What do they say? The, the silly human thing we say is, there's only two guarantees in life, death and taxes. Okay. <laughs> but death exists. And then life, and that newness of life, and the newness of life in Christ. And so we speak to these things, and they build faith. This whole thing was supposed to be about faith. I knew I was going to get on a silly tangent with this this murder thing, but ultimately remembering God's purpose and his glory in this third point. This is what they're doing. Think about holidays. Why do holidays exist? Well, there's a time to remember, right? Why do we do communion every week, Ron? It's because we remember Jesus and what he's done, right? Why do we pray? It's in remembrance, and it's the conversation that we have. It's remembering God's in control, God's sovereign, God's our helper. He can certainly change situations, but more so he's going to change you, not necessarily your situation. Sometimes he'll work through the situation, but you're the one that's the problem. Remember this. How about meditation? That falls along the same line of prayer. These are the spiritual disciplines. It's all about remembrance. So they're celebrating this feast, Purim, which means lots, uh, ultimately is how Haman decided on this month of Adar, this day and month of Adar, to actually enact this royal decree of death on that day. And so sometimes it's known as the feast of lots. As you see, there's certainly food. Everybody, uh, it's really Baptist tradition to celebrate with a lot of food all the time, eating meals together. We all like food, it's clearly evident, right? 
No, not so much? Okay. Well, thank you for your kindness. <laughs> Scripture reading. Remember the promises of God. Remember what he's going through. Remember the plan of redemption, the story of redemption. Scripture memorization. You guys may or may not see it come out of me, but boy, the Lord has written a lot of passages on my heart, and they just naturally flow out as the moment calls for it. It's part of the blessing of the Holy Spirit. It's part of where we're at. As we go out there today, you know, hopefully, again, these are all things, items, tactics to help us remember the Lord. God gave us these tools to help us remember him. How about fasting? That's something too. That's another spiritual discipline. Odds are you might think about how hungry you are rather than God, but the overarching point was to increase your relationship, to remember him and his purpose. The problem with not remembering him is that now you're here because of why you think you are here, on earth, I mean, as opposed to remembering why you're on earth because of God putting you here on earth. How about some tangible items for remembering? I have a cross ring on. People ask me why I wear two rings, and I'll tell you very briefly and succinctly, even though I've gotten numb and desensitized to it, it was at one point in time a reminder that I'm married to Christ first, before Jennifer even. Well, that's a hard pill to swallow for some of us, but that's the reality of the truth. I have a, a cross necklace myself. Maybe I've got pictures on the wall, things of multitude of natures, they can quickly become idolatry and they can quickly get desensitized to them as well in all of these. And so what's the best thing to do? I can't tell you. That's the problem. I can't tell you, right? God works within each of our lives individually. But I can tell you over the last 10 years, much like how Mordecai has come to a place, I feel like I've come to a place, not that I'm in a position of power and authority over all kinds of people and all submit and all that, but ultimately, like, God has made a big impact on my life. And that's something to remember and something to be grateful of. It's also important to remember that, yeah, everything I do is within the scope of righteousness and wickedness. It's in the scope of life or it's in the scope of death. And man, it really like narrows it down a little bit. We can make it about all these other different things, but it's really all about this one thing. And as much as we want to have control, we don't. And that's what makes it hard. So we're here to remember him and his purpose. And we do this every week. And much like what Chris was talking about this morning, and, and don't neglect it, Hopefully uh, you finished up like the last four days of hope as I was doing them because Paul David Tripp was certainly talking about all the importance of um, uh, gathering together. 
And in that importance of gathering, how God works in that importance of gathering, how this is an opportunity for grace in our lives, how this is an opportunity for remembrance, how this is an opportunity for relief from a hostile world, how this is an opportunity for joy instead of anger and frustration. But sadly, we all choose anger and frustration and earthly things rather than the thing in life. I'm not going to beat you up about it, but I'm going to acknowledge that that is the way that it is because I'm no better than any of you. I told you my story from the beginning. That's just a little bit of my story from the beginning. It can get a lot worse and it can get a lot better, but that is my testimony and my testimony is truth. I lived it. Why would I lie to you about it? For some kind of, are you going to give me something for it? I don't think so. In fact, typically what I get out of these types of things is um, some types of harassment from the outside world. Not from the inside, but there's always people judging, doubting, condemning, finger pointing, you name it. There's all kinds of things going on. And so we find ourselves here at this moment. What do you do with here? Is it right that you're here? Is it wrong that you're here? I would hope it's right that you're here rather than wrong, but ultimately we're here and God has brought us here. And much like moving in the spirit every Sunday morning to bring us here, I do believe the prince of the power of the air works a little bit of his ridiculousness to cause anger and frustration in the morning to keep you from being here on a Sunday, to keep you from coming to growth group to keep you from loving your neighbor or serving your neighbor, to keep you alone so that he can just have his way with you. Rather than you standing up, holding and locking arms with one another, remembering that we are God's people together, there is no individual. It is corporate. And it's always been corporate. So, remember him Remember his purpose. Speak to the matters that are important. Don't drop yourself down to small, insignificant battles. Remember the big battle of the gospel. Remember the battle of life and death. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. But seek his righteousness in that. Don't seek his materialness. Don't seek his blessings for manipulation, but seek him and his righteousness. And then everything else you do will make more sense and it will get easier. Not to say it's sunshine and rainbows, but I can't tell you how much having faith grown in me has allowed me to stand behind the shield of faith, wearing the helmet of salvation, donning the belt of truth, wearing the sandals of the gospel that give me peace. And I just stand there ready. I'm like, okay, it's coming. I know it's coming. That was it. Ah, it's nothing. It's nothing. You got side railed for nothing. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And be grateful for your lot in life. Certainly, God uses tangible expressions. Certainly, God uses... Uh, vocal expressions, and certainly God has given us the tools to remember him. 
And all of these are building blocks of faith that God uses in our life. And so embrace those. Know what they are. See them for what they're worth. Grab onto them. Hold onto them. Don't walk alone. You walk with God first and foremost all the time. And then you've got an awesome expression of his people sitting in this room. And then there are more of them out there too. Amen. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings of today. Certainly thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the faith to persevere. Thank you for allowing us to just walk in your grace and in your glory and to see the world for what it really is. Lord, continue to sanctify us by the Spirit. Continue to work within each of us. Continue to make us your own. Continue to whittle away those sins that harm us and harm others. Continue to kill those, and may we continue to walk and stand tall in the truth that you give us in your gospel. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.